Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm awfully glad that we're going to have a full hour with Jeff Redorn today. We're going to continue our study on end times. And today is everything rapture. What is the rapture of the church? I don't think the word rapture even occurs in the Bible. It comes from a Latin word meaning a carrying off, a transport, or a snatching away. So we're going to talk about that for the full hour. Jeff Verdorn is a Bible teacher, friend, mentor, and all-around great guy. And he's back with me today. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. This is going to be a wonderful hour. I know this is going to be a little bit edgy for some people because I think everyone has varying opinions, but let's learn everything we can from what God's Word says. Well, it is. We're going to spend the entire hour on the rapture today. And uh, just a quick review as we go through this series on the end times, because I wanted to kind of um, put us in the timeline. God has this plan for the end of the age. I believe it begins with the rapture of the church, which we're going to talk about today. After the rapture comes a seven-year tribulation. It's called in the Old Testament the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the completion of actually a judgment from Daniel 9 on the nation of Israel. At the end of that seven-year period, which includes characters like the Antichrist and the false prophet and the 144,000 and the two witnesses, and we talked about these guys a, a few weeks back, um, at the and, and the mark of the beast and and trumpet judgments and bowl judgments and all this wrath of God stuff. At the end of that seven-year tribulation is the second coming of Christ. That's the Revelation 19, Jesus coming on a white horse with the armies of heaven following him back to earth, where he comes and establishes his kingdom for a thousand years on earth. This is the day when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he will rule on the seed of David. This is uh, something that God promised David way back in Second Samuel 7, that one of his descendants would sit on his throne and rule the world. And that sure is the Christ when he comes back. So he reigns for a thousand years. We're actually next time in two weeks, we are going to talk about all things uh, that happen when Jesus returns, uh, so the battle of Armageddon, um, the sheep and the goat judgment, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and this thousand-year reign, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks uh, in our outline. At the end of the thousand-year reign, it says that heaven and earth flee from God's presence. Uh, there's one last rebellion. There's this thing called the great white throne judgment. That's judgment day. And then the new heaven and new earth and New Jerusalem, which is the eternal state. And of that uh, new heaven and new earth, God says that nothing unrighteous will ever enter into it. So that's a, that's a quick kind of overview of God's plan for the end of the age. But like we said, today is rapture day, all things rapture. Mm-hmm. Your summary is something I would be willing to get tattooed on my arm. <laughs> Start at the top and work your way down. Or, yeah. I mean, everything you said is so exciting. It's just so, I, I can hardly wait. 
You know, there's uh, Paul says in, in Corinthians, I can't remember the exact verse, but it says, The eye has not seen, nor has the ear heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man the wonders that God has prepared for us in mm-hmm. Christ Jesus. I love I mean, that too. We can describe God's plan for the end of the age. This eternal state that is in store for us, we can't even imagine how grand it's going to be. All right, let's get into all things rapture. So you commented at the beginning that it is a little controversial. It's interesting because uh, there's some stats that well over 50% of the church, uh, especially evangelical church, believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. But interestingly, the number of pastors, evangelical pastors that believe in a pre-trib rapture is actually down about 35% or so. When I first started teaching the end times a couple decades ago, um, that percentage was actually a lot higher. We had an, a book series out by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, and it was a series called Left Behind. And it was a seven or eight book series, I can't remember now, um, that really ignited a lot of people's interest uh, in the end times and specifically the rapture of the church because the, the premise of the novel, which I agree with, is that one day soon the rapture is going to happen and unbelievers are going to be left behind to deal with this seven-year tribulation and the Antichrist and so on. And that's this book series. Um, At that time, when I first started teaching, there was actually a lot of interest in the church about God's plan for the end of the age. And it's it's waned considerably since then. And what, Mm. what I have noticed is that that churches seem to be hesitant, pastors seem to be hesitant to preach on this plan, God's plan for the end of the age from the pulpit. I think because of it, one reason is I think the, the on the internet, you can get any one of a thousand different opinions on God's plan for the end of the age. So it's become uh, much more, there's much more diversity of opinion. I think there's more theories out there. There's more ideas out there. And it's become controversial to a certain degree. Um, also, it's complex, I'll say that if you are going to develop a understanding of God's plan for the end of the age, there's a lot of passages. God's plan is actually all over the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. So you need to put all the pieces together and reconcile all the different parts in order to develop um, an understanding of God's plan for the end of the age. And that's just hard. It takes a lot of time. Um, so I think those are a couple of reasons. So, but we're going to do it today. So the rapture, two primary places in Scripture where the rapture is described. Uh, you mentioned that the word rapture is actually not in Scripture, and I'm going to show you where where it actually is indirectly, but uh, but it is actually there. And we're going to we're going to focus in this first part on the two core passages uh, that describe this event that we call, or theolog- theologians call, the rapture of the ter- church. The first is from First Thessalonians four starting in verse 16, and it says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So we have this concept in verse 17. It says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up 
together with them, and we will be in the clouds and meet them in the air. So the Greek word for caught up is the Greek word harpazo, and it means, as you said at the beginning, this catching up or this taking away. Uh, But the Latin word for that, being caught up, is rapturo. So originally the Bible was translated from Greek into Latin, and that's what most theologians studied was Latin. And so this concept of the catching up, of the church being caught up to heaven, was called the rapture after the Greek word rapturo. So you can call it the rapture. You can call it the harpazo, the Greek name. You can say it's our great catching up. And as we'll see in a minute, you can also call it our resurrection day because this is the day that we will be glorified, that we will be resurrected. So, But most theologians call this the rapture. So as we read this passage, notice that there's actually two groups of people that, that Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians 4. The first are what he describes as the dead in Christ. He says the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, we need to understand this to understand this passage. Who are the dead in Christ? Well, it's anybody who's believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, has been born again, has died, and is now in heaven. Now, in heaven, Paul says, if you remember in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that when we die, we are absent from the body, but at home with the Lord. So you are a body, soul, and spirit, and when you die— Your body returns to the dust from which it came, right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, it returns to the dust. But who you are, your soul and your spirit, those go up to heaven. And so in heaven, you are absent from your physical body, but at home with the Lord, as Paul says. The second group that, as Paul mentions, is those who are alive and remain. And what happens to them? Well, they are caught up with them in the clouds. So that is what we get. That's the picture that we get from 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, the last part of this is I want to focus on next is it says the dead in Christ rise first. Well, now, what does it mean to say that the dead in Christ rise first? So many throughout church history have depicted this day, this resurrection day, as the dead in Christ coming out of their graves, coming out of the ground, rising up and being resurrected. So they rise, quote-unquote, rise on this day. But what we just described is where are the dead in Christ? The dead in Christ are not in their graves. The dead in Christ are in heaven. They are with our Heavenly Father and with Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. So Paul says it will be better for me to depart and be with the Lord by far. What he's saying is it's it's much better for me to die and be with the Lord. But the truth is, is that he knows that when he dies, he'll be with the Lord in heaven. So first and foremost, we need to understand that this word rising, we, I say this word rise and everybody's brain goes immediately to the graves of people rising up out of their graves somehow. And that's just not the picture here because that is not where the dead in Christ are. They are in heaven. Is, Jeff, is the image though that the soul that is in heaven is being somehow reunited to the body that's rising out of the ground? Yeah, I wouldn't you're use... Be getting your 
your glorified body at this point. So Correct. you're not going to need your your dusty remains from the grave. Yeah, so that's why I don't use the word reunited. It's you will receive a new glorified body. And Thank that you. is exactly what 1 Corinthians describes. So now let's go to the second main passage for the rapture, all right? And that's in 1 Corinthians 15. And you know, it's, I think this... Yeah, go ahead. Is this a good then time to break? break? Yeah, I think right. it is. Let, then we can reset. Okay, all perfect. Right. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Redorn's my guest. We're continuing our study on end times. So we're going to be back in just a minute. If you have a question or you might need something clarified, please let me know what that is. 877-933-2484. Be right back. Uh, back in studio talking about end times. And Jeff, I think you were going to quote something out of First Corinthians right before we went to break. I was. And so the second main passage um, concerning the rapture is from First Corinthians 15. And it says this, starting in verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning we will not all die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. All right? So what ha- in this passage, we learn about the rapture, this truth, that we, were, we are all going to be changed. And I think the all there is both the dead in Christ and those who are alive and remain at this moment, at the trumpet sound, at this rapture, and we will be raised imperishable. So if you read the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, you see that this whole chapter is about the resurrection of, a, of the body. When we go from having an earthly body or, or no body up in heaven to having a glorified body, a resurrected body. So look at 1 Corinthians uh, starting in 13. Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. But each in his own turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes at the rapture, those who belong to him. But some of you may ask, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body? So it will be, and then later on in verse 42, it says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, your earthly body, it will be raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It will be raised in glory. 
it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it will be raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there will also be a spiritual or glorified body. And, and he concludes with, just as we born the likeness of the man from earth, meaning Adam, so too shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven, that is the Christ. So being raised is, is the same as being resurrected, which is the same as being glorified. So in, when it says the dead in Christ will be raised first, all that means is that it's not that they're coming up out of their graves. It means that they will receive their resurrected, their glorified body. It has nothing to do with their grave in the dirt and their casket and their tombstone and all that kind of stuff. Do you see that? I sure do. So we've got this promise of both the dead in Christ and those who remain in life of the resurrection. So Paul says that that we will be united with him in his resurrection. He says in, in Romans 8, it says that Christ will also uh, will give life to our mortal bodies. Um, uh, Romans 8, 29 says that we will be conformed to the likeness of his sons. Philippians 3, 21 says that he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I mean, over and over and over, uh, God tells us that flesh and blood, for example, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But So we need to receive this glorified body, just like Christ received his glorified body, so that we can inherit the kingdom of God. That's what this day is all about. So let's go back to the rapture, okay? Love to. So it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that the dead in Christ will rise first. They will receive their glorified bodies first. Then those who are alive and remain will be, 1 Corinthians 15, will be changed. Do you remember how quickly the passage said that we will be changed? I do remember. I think it's the twinkling of an eye. That's right. So he says that we'll, we're, we are changed in the twinkling of an eye. Now, here's what I think has happened over the years. I think theologians have taken 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 and said that the rapture or the catching up part of this is what has happened or what is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. But 1 Corinthians 15 specifically says that we are changed in the twinkling of an eye. We are glorified. We are resurrected in the twinkling of an eye. And when you think about it, Bill, I mean, that, that really does make sense because could you be, could you be glorified slowly? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, there go my knees. My knees, right. need oh, for, my knees are having tr- trouble a little bit, so I, right. I need my knees to go first, right? Right, yeah. And then my arms and then my, you know, whatever. No, 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 no. We're, glor- we're going to be glorified in a flash, in the mm-hmm. twinkling of an eye. That's what happens in the twinkling of an eye. So the dead in Christ receive their glorified bodies. We who are alive and remain, we will receive our glorified bodies in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, and then we are caught up to heaven to meet them in the clouds. That's the catching up part. So I think mm-hmm. that's the sequence of the events of the rapture day. Doesn't that make sense? Makes total sense. Now, 
I, when you look at things like the Left Behind series, like movies and the depictions, how is the rapture always depicted in movies and books and films and whatever? It's always depicted as this sudden disappearance, right? Because, mm-hmm. and, and I think that, that, that people do that because of this phrase, the twinkling of an eye. And I think they conclude that the rapture is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, and they miss the fact that, no, it's our glorification that happens in the twinkling of an eye. But it's always presented that way. And so I think if we are going to, to, to analyze what the rapture is actually, actually going to look like, we can go back to Scripture and see, well, are there any other raptures described in Scripture that have already occurred that we can use as a model. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. Well, there is one. It's in Acts chapter 1. So in Acts chapter 1, this is where Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives. He has been crucified, uh, buried, rose again, appeared over 40 days to many people. Um, and now this is his last appearance at the end of this 40 days. And so let's pick it up in verse 6, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So there's about four or five passages here that I'm going to read, or verses that I'm going to read. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Sure enough, 10 days later in the next chapter, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them right at Pentecost. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky when two angels, two men dressed in white, stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee... Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. So what's the picture? Jesus was... a rapture. It it is a rapture. In fact, in (laughs) Revelation 12, it's actually... This incident is described, and it's called Jesus's harpazo, his rapture, right? So here's Mm -hmm. the physical Jesus Christ in his glorified body, standing around with his disciples at the top of the Mount of Olives when he is raptured, caught up, harpazoed, up into the sky. So the picture is that bodily, physically, visibly, Jesus ascends up into heaven. So his disciples are looking up as he goes, and then he is hid by the clouds. And so the angels ask, men of Galilee, what are you looking at? And it's like, what a strange question, by the way. <laughs> it's like, we just saw Jesus go up into the clouds. What do you mean, what are we looking at? Yeah. And But that is described as his rapture. We need to take a little break. Jeff Fredorn is my guest. We're continuing our study on end times. We'll take a short break and be right back. Show with Bill Arno, drive time, drive time. Let's get 
All right, we are back with Bible teacher and personal friend and mentor of mine, Jeff Redorn. We're talking about the rapture. We're spending the whole hour talking about it, so uh, we are um, still have a long way to go. It's exciting, Jeff. <laughs> a long way to go. Well, he said it's going to happen soon. I know, so. but, I mean, he's been saying that for a long time. Yeah, for- But we need to be ready. We do need to be ready. You know what? Let's talk about that right now, because in the back of the book, he says, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me. Right. So a lot of people say, well, wait, where's this coming that he promised? He said he'd come back soon and it's been 2000 years. Well, good point. The Greek word for soon, a little Greek understanding can go a long way sometimes. And this is one of those cases where a little Greek really, really helps because the Greek word for soon is teku, T-A-C-H-U, teku. And it can mean soon as in a short period of time, but it can also mean suddenly, without warning. (gasps) Well, that's exactly what Jesus said, right? I come as a thief in the night when you are not expecting. I'm going to come suddenly. So when Jesus says I'm coming soon, I really think a better English interpretation of that is I'm coming suddenly and my reward is with me. Cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. So we were talking about how the rapture is typically depicted in media and books and film and so on. So, you know, it's typically depicted as this great disappearance where suddenly all these Christians just poof, they're gone, they disappear. And you know, the the scenes from the movies, you know, the pilot flying the plane is suddenly gone and the plane goes crashing into the ground. The bus driver's gone and the bus drive, the bus goes flying off the side of the bridge and, you know, mass chaos, right? Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's the picture that scripture gives. There are even some, some times where the rapture is depicted where the person disappears and their clothes fall to the ground, all folded up neatly in a pile. Well, where where would a somebody who's teaching on the rapture even get that idea? Well, I think probably because if you recall, Jesus' burial cloth, he folded and laid down as he rose from the dead. Well, how did Jesus' burial cloth get folded? And I always say, well, duh, he folded it. It shows not that some kind of miraculous folding of clothing happens at the resurrection, but that it's a bodily, physical, visible resurrection of flesh. Jesus rose bodily from the grave. And so he got up and with his resurrected hands, he grabbed the burial cloth and he folded it and walked out of the tomb. Um, so some want to take this great disappearance and say, well, this, the rapture is a secret rapture or it's, you know, the world's not going to know what's happened. I think the world is going to see it just like if you were standing around the Mount of Olives, you would have seen the Lord Jesus Christ go up to heaven. And I think that's exactly the way the rapture is going to happen when that mm-hmm. Trump blows and he calls us home. And Jeff, isn't the piece that he folded just his headpiece? Yes, I believe I believe that's exactly what Scripture describes. The head cloth yeah. is what he folds. Yeah, just the head cloth, mm-hmm. which is a fascinating study, too. I mean, if you are at a meal, and those lasted five hours, six hours, and if you got up to go relieve yourself, if you were coming back, you would neatly fold up your napkin to let the server know that you were returning. If you weren't coming back, you'd just kind of leave it in a pile on a plate. 
I have heard that, that that was a first century tradition that the Jewish yeah. people would have known and understood. And right. is there is the truth in the Bible that Jesus is coming back? And it's, well, yes. In fact, do you know where he comes back? To the Mount of Olives. Where did Jesus go up to heaven? Mount At the Olives. Mount of Olives. Where is he coming back from heaven? At the second coming of Christ? To the Mount of Olives. And uh, right where he went, right where he left. So I think the world will see us. I think the world will see us going up to heaven. And now, will they understand it? Will they know what's happening? Um, it's interesting in the Left Behind series, there was this pastor who realizes right away that he missed it, right? That he was just pretending. He never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and wasn't ready for the rapture. But as soon as the rapture happens, he kind of understood, oh, I was wrong. I missed it. And uh, he's the guy that starts studying Scripture and kind of tells everybody what's going to happen next. Um, But I don't think the world necessarily will understand and recognize that this was the rapture of the church. My... my, the the most probable headline is, you know, I think aliens are going to be involved in some way that uh, all these Christians were uh, captured or transported up by aliens in some way, shape, or form. And that's how the world's going to try to explain it. So, hmm. <laughs> all right. So there are this rapture, this event, uh, which uh, the last kind of 15 minutes here, we'll talk about the timing of the rapture because that's uh, a big question as well. Where does that rapture fit in? Obviously, I said at the beginning, I think I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, a pre-trib rapture, that this rapture happens prior to the tribulation. But before we get to the timing questions, I wanted to do a couple other verses because we covered First Thessalonians 4 and First Corinthians 15, but there's actually many passages in the New Testament that describe the rapture. So here's a couple that people don't always see. Jesus said to her, John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, the fundamental truth of this passage is that if we die and we're in Christ, we will live again, obviously. But watch this. He who believes in me, so this is for believers, will live even though he dies, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Hmm. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. So I think the, the dead in Christ and those who are alive are also represented in this John eleven twenty five passage. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. Another one is John 14, one of the really big ones, actually, where Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Well, what is that event? That's the rapture. That's not the second coming because we are going up to meet him in the air where he takes us to be in heaven. At the second coming, we're coming down from heaven with him back down to earth. So there's another rapture passage. Um, Here's another one. Philippians 3. 
uh, verse 20 and 21, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the rapture of the church. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So at the resurrection, when we are transformed, this is what we are waiting for eagerly for the Lord to come and do. Well, that's the rapture of the church. That's the that's our resurrection day. And so that happens at the rapture. Colossians 3, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. That's the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and we wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Well, that's the rapture of the church. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. That's the rapture of the church when we are gathered to him. So uh, not only is in the rapture uh, talked about just in the two primary passages that we discussed, but I've got a list of about five pages of where the rapture is described, including in in Titus, where he says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's lots of places in Scripture where this rapture is described, if you know what you're you're actually looking for. Um, So let's do this next. As we start now discussing the timing, um, because one of the, so so first the timing of the rapture. The first question, and and I guess I kind of assume this, I guess we, we should discuss it, is we cannot know the timing of the rapture in terms of when it is going to happen, right? Now, what we're going to describe is when it's going to happen in relationship to the end times, which is yet future. But when the rapture actually happens, uh, we cannot know. Now, this hasn't stopped Christians over the decades from trying to set a time for the rapture. There's been lots of them. There was a guy who wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Happen in 1988. It sold um, a lot, millions, I believe, millions of copies. And, uh, And then, of course, the rapture didn't happen in 1988, and uh, but that didn't deter him. He actually wrote a second book called 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Happen in 1989. <laughs> How'd that one sell? No, not as well. Um, okay. But I understand that he actually updated his book every year for about 20 years and, and kept selling it until finally he stopped. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Harold Camping in 2011 predicted the rapture was going to happen um, there, there was the blood moons. Remember all the blood moons? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of Christians got um, really engaged in this idea. Well, there's these four blood moons, and they're going to happen in close proximity, four lunar eclipses, basically. And that's a sign that the end is going to come. And it's like, no, the Bible doesn't say that look for four blood moons, and then the rapture is going to happen. And so what happened? Uh, no, it didn't happen. The rapture didn't come. Uh, there's been a lot of them. Uh, Y2K, people thought that was the end of the world and the rapture was going to happen. Uh, there was these Revelation 12 signs back in 2017 that a number of strong Christians started interpreting as that the rapture was going to happen in 2017 or soon thereafter, and it didn't. And uh, many of them who taught this and spent hours and hours preaching this concept were crushed that it didn't happen. 
Um, so look, there's there are there are lists of people who have predicted when the rapture is going to be, and they've all been wrong so far to date. We just cannot know. The Bible, mm-hmm. I think, makes it clear that we cannot know the hour or the day uh, that the Lord is going to return uh, and gather us up to Him. Good point. All right. So what about the timing of the rapture as it relates to the second coming? And uh, Rosie says we should take a break right now. So let's pick that up when we come back, huh? Well, that sounds like an all right idea. I kind of have to do what Rosie says. So we'll uh, take a short break. When we come back, lots more with Jeff Dorn. Be right back. Dorn, as we continue our study on end times, Jeff, it's been a fantastic hour so far. It's going so quickly. We've got only one segment left. We've got to finish our timing of this. We do. So let's talk about timing, right? The timing of the rapture. So there's lots of different views. I guess what we'll do is we'll talk about some of the different views, and then I'll make uh, some of the strong points for why the rapture needs to be before the tribulation. Okay. Um, so that's my view, the pre-trib rapture or prior to the tribulation. Some teach a mid-trib tribulation or very similar to that as a pre-wrath tribulation. I'm sorry, rapture. A pre-wrath is just before the bold judgments are poured out uh, before the end. So a mid-trib and a pre-wrath are very similar. Then there's a post-trib rapture that at the end of the seven years, we are raptured. Um, and uh, and then turn around and come back with Christ uh, a la Revelation 19. So I actually call that the great U-turn in the sky, right? We go up and meet him only to come back down with him. And then other variants, there's a lot of Christianity that actually doesn't believe in a future tribulation or a future rapture. There are amillennialists and preterists that uh, don't have a concept of the rapture uh, or the end times, uh, really uh, the Roman Catholic Church really doesn't have a concept of the rapture. It's not taught. Uh, some teach a partial rapture, that only some Christians get raptured, and, and the rest of us have to stick behind. That was when you asked what it takes to be ready, by the way, and I really didn't answer that question. How are we ready for the rapture? We mm-hmm. have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're born again. And if you are a born-again Christian, you will be raptured. It's that simple. Um, so let's first start with a simple understanding of describing what we know about the rapture versus what we know about the second coming of Jesus when he returns to that Mount of Olives that we were talking about. And notice the sharp contrast in descriptions between those two events. So the first thing I'm going to do is say that this can't be at the end of the tribulation because that's when he comes and it's described very differently from the rapture, all right? So at the rapture, Christ comes for his own, and we're gathered up into the air. At the second coming, Christ comes with his own, 
And we all come to earth. Very different. At the rapture, there's no mention of the wrath of God, that God's wrath is being poured out. At the second coming, Jesus treads the winepress of the wrath of God, Revelation 19. That's really Armageddon. At the rapture, Israel is not mentioned. At the second coming, God saves Israel, or Jesus will save the remnant of Israel, and they'll enter into his millennial kingdom. At the rapture, the Antichrist is revealed, and at the second coming, Satan is bound. And at the rapture, Jesus comes as a thief in the night, where there's no prophecies, no signs. It can happen at any moment. But at the second coming... It is going to be visible to the world, just as lightning from the east is visible in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. There are many signs for the second coming, and, uh, and the world is not going to miss that day. Um, so they're two very different events. So why do I believe so strongly that the rapture has to happen prior to the seven-year tribulation? Well, I just kind of mentioned one of the first reasons. And that is this concept of uh, immediacy. He comes as a thief. He, he says that it is our blessed hope. It's a source of encouragement to us when he comes. We are to be watchful. He says he's coming soon, which means suddenly. So there's a lot of these passages that describe the rapture as, you know what? At some unannounced time, that trump is going to sound, and the dead in Christ are going to be raised, and we are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds. And any other timing in the seven-year period of the tribulation, um, we can actually know that time. We have a lot of details about what happens in that seven years and how that unfolds. So if you're a mid-trib or a a pre-wrath or a post-trib, you would be able to know when the rapture was about to come because you're going to know where you would be in that tribulation period. Only a pre-trib rapture gives you that immediacy. That's a pretty important distinction, isn't it? It is, because if we are looking for a Christ to come from heaven, by the way, where would your where would your eyes be fixed on? If you believe the next event is Christ, the trumpet, and us being caught together with him, are we waiting for a Christ or are we waiting for an antichrist to come? And I argue that any other view of the rapture, we should not be looking for the Christ, but we would be looking for the antichrist to come onto the scene who comes on the scene at the very beginning of the tribulation period. And we should be figuring out, well, then who's the Antichrist and and looking for him? But no, no, no. I think the next event is the rapture of the church where Christ comes, and I think that's where he wants our attention, fixed on heaven, waiting for him. Okay. Second reason. The restraining force must be removed. 2 Thessalonians 2. I won't read the whole passage, but it says that this lawlessness is already at work, and but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until it is taken out of the way. Well, what is this restraining force that is taken out of the way so that the, the Antichrist will, can be revealed? And, and I would argue that's the, the spirit-filled church, which is salt and light in this world. Are we a force for righteousness in this world? Uh, and the answer is yes, we are. 
And that restraining force is needs to be removed before the Antichrist is revealed. I think that's a powerful pre-tribulational rapture passage or reason. Mm-hmm. The next one is interesting because it says that the rapture needs to happen in a time of peace when men were saying peace and safety and when, as Matthew 24 says, just as in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. I think this is the rapture. For in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and giving in marriage right up until the day Noah entered the ark. Well, guess what? Noah entered the ark, the door was shut, and destruction came upon the world. Guess what John sees in heaven in Revelation chapter 4? He sees a door standing open that I think he goes through as part of the rapture of the church, and then destruction comes upon the world. Same, same. It's the same thing. So what does he say? This is the only description, by the way, in all of Scripture of what, what it's going to be like at the moment of the rapture. And what is it? People will be eating and drinking and giving in marriage. So I think life is going to be going on, you know, somewhat normally. If it Mm -hmm. happens during the seven-year tribulation, you cannot describe any time during the seven years as life going on normally. It's going to be Old Testament wrath of God stuff being poured out on the world. And I I doubt men will be be eating and drinking and giving in marriage right up until the day that Noah entered the ark. So I think that's another, another... Um, one other thing that we don't have time to go into, but the, the, the tribulation period, the seven year tribulation period is actually the final seven year period or seven of the judgment that God proclaimed on Israel. In fact, this tribulation period is called the time of Jacob's trouble, and it's really for Israel And there's a whole bunch of reasons. We weren't here for the first part of Israel's judgment. The church was not. And I don't think we will be here for the last part or the final part of Daniel's 70th seven of judgment that comes upon the world. Now, if you know about Daniel's judgment, that will make a little bit sense. If you don't, uh, it won't. Um, One more. The structure of the book of Revelation itself points to, very strongly, a pre-tribulation rapture. What do I mean by that? Well, in chapter 2 of three of Re- two and 3 of Revelation, it's describing the church, and I think it's symbolic of the church age, the age that we're in right now. And then in Revelation chapter 4, John says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open. Remember, we just read this verse. In heaven, and the voice I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must soon take place after these things. Well, what does that sound like? A trumpet. John, on the island of Patmos, uh, is standing on earth. He hears a voice like a trumpet that says, Come up here. The church, for Thessalonians 4, it will be on earth, is going to hear a sound, a voice like a trumpet that says, come up here. I think Revelation chapter 4, John being caught up to heaven and then all the events of the tribulation unfold is symbolic of the rapture of the church. We do not see the church again in the book of Revelation 
until we get to Revelation 19 and the bride has made herself ready and she's coming down dressed in fine linens, white and clean with Christ at the end of the tribulation. Mm. And then one more that's not in the Bible. Uh, and actually, uh, some folks made an entire movie out of this concept. And that was the passage of, of Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll certainly come back and take you to be where I am also. Well, that actually parallels the first century Galilean marriage uh, process very closely. Now, this one's not in the Bible, but it's very powerful. The groom would it, select... It, it, yeah, it's such a great illustration, Jeff. And I hate to say it, but I we don't have enough time. We're already out, isn't that a bummer? It is a bummer. It's it's a yeah. very powerful reason. It's not in the Bible, but it's just powerful that that describes what Jews would have recognized as the first century marriage tradition. Yeah. So we'll you know we'll catch up. We'll pick that up next time we uh, talk in two weeks. So that would be great because that is such a gem that I want to include that. I just don't want to be uh, cut off because uh, we're up against uh, the end of our show. So thank you again, Jeff, for uh, oh, you're welcome. such a wonderful study. We're all loving it, including me. And and uh, I so appreciate your your uh, study and your teaching. It's it's brilliant. Oh, thank you, so, Bill. Yeah. It's his Jeff plan, Adorn's right? Been, indeed it is. Jeff Redorn's been my guest. That wraps up our show. Thanks to Rob Bluey and Dr. Greg Borgon. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.